0: And welcome to another episode of the New York 20. I'm
1: John. And I'm Tom. We're joining you here on this Saturday evening recording, uh, leading right into the Knicks-Pacers playoff game. Yeah, we'll see how that goes. A couple of good things to talk (laughs) about. Um, And I'm fresh off a good trip to Kansas City, uh, which is sort of the low light of the trip. uh, Because I had a second trip that I took to Washington, D.C. Yeah, let's uh, tell us a little bit about that. So I flew in uh, Sunday night back home. I wake up Monday afternoon, really, and looked at StubHub to see how expensive tickets were down in D.C. for Game 7 between the Rangers and the Capitals. Tickets were $70 each, which is, like, crazy. Wow.
0: I cannot believe that.
1: Yeah, so, to, uh, like, you'd say at the Garden, they'd probably be about $200 tickets at least to get in the building for a Game 7. So when I said they were 70 bucks each, I looked into it. I had literally just about enough time to get down there and decided I'm going to go on a little road trip down to D.C. Twelve and a half hours later, I was back home. <laughs> And uh, the Rangers advanced the second round, so it was a, a pretty cool experience, pretty unique experience.
0: Well, you had mentioned to me before you decided to go that you were five and zero this year at Ranger games. That's right? correct.
1: So Matt why Hardy's not- got nothing on me. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, I don't know about that. I would not go that far. (laughs) Matt Harvey may have a few things on you, like a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. We'll get into that later. But, uh, yeah, why not? Why not test your luck out on the road in hostile territory down in D.C.? And that's who we're going to begin. Obviously, the Rangers emphatically won their Game 7 with a 5-0 just – I don't even know. Blitzkrieg of the the Capitals. They didn't even – they didn't put up a fight. I mean, they they looked like they were stunned after the first maybe two goals. And then after that, there was just – they just flattened out and, and let it happen. And you saw,
1: I mean, you saw the style of play. The, the building was actually really, really loud to start uh, through the national anthem. You know, had a hard time hearing the national anthem. That type of loud, which is what you'd expect in a game seven. So Washington really did have a good crowd out there. The first ten minutes, you know, every chance the Capitals had, the fans were up and cheering, and you know, a lot of people were on the edge of their seats. And <clears throat> as soon as the Rangers got that first goal from Asham, after the, the Caps were inches away from scoring a goal to put themselves ahead, right. it settled everybody down a little bit. I think it settled the Rangers' game down a little bit, and they really started to dictate the play after that. When they got into the second period and scored the second and eventual uh, third goals, Washington was done. They, they had to start to try and press the attack, and it left them vulnerable on the back end. A uh, lot of good scoring chances from the Rangers after that point. They had some posts. They had some crossbars. And uh, the last goal by Matt Zuccarello was just complete blown coverage. Very pretty from my end. Uh, <laughs> but you know, Where were you
0: sitting? What was your vantage point?
1: So I was on the... Uh, the end, the Rangers shot twice behind the goal. Right. It was probably at the eighth or ninth row, and there, there were enough Ranger fans around us that we were safe. Uh, <laughs> we had an usher come up to It was actually pretty funny. An usher came up to us because there was a Caps fan who was turning around just facing the Ranger fans yelling, you know, oh, screw you guys. Stop, you know, stop cheering. Sit down. Uh, and one of his, like, uh, other Capitals fans yelled at him. He was like, dude, we're getting shut out. It's 5-0. Sit down and be quiet and have some dignity. <laughs> An Usher came up to us. He's like, guys, I'm a Giants fan. I want these Redskins fans to have to listen to this. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a good time. It went really well. Uh, the, the trip back, you know, was a long time. I actually did a little uh, uh, montage. So I, I think I'll call it a documentary cause it's 18 minutes long. It's too short for like a, I say a, a clip video, but I just got it up on YouTube. So uh, right, yeah, I'll try so and link check to that out. later.
0: Definitely. Definitely. <laughs> So, that was a clean, tidy win. Rangers move on.
1: As good as you can find, really, for a game. Like, that that's exactly what you want to see. No stress. You score a couple of goals, yeah. and you just party for an hour or so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, they move on. They get to round two. They take on Boston, who had a, a nice game seven comeback of their own. Yeah. Oof. And And, um, you know, and here we are. The Rangers are down one nothing after game one yeah. to the Boston Bruins. And What I saw from – the thing that I took away from watching this game um, compared to – uh, pretty much every game of the Capital seri- Series, series, um, totally different style of play yeah. by Boston. <clears throat> I mean, just so much more aggressive overall. Yeah. You know, uh, we talked a a lot uh, during round one about the the Capitals uh, power play and how Mm -hmm. how deadly they can be on that. But uh, the Bruins just just come out and they come at you and they play athletically and they play quick and they play physical that every time somebody touches the puck. I mean, they're all over it. And to the Rangers credit. The Rangers kind of I, – I think maybe that style of play kind of works into the Rangers' hands a bit. I think they played up to that level. Yeah. You know, at least in Game 1 they did. You know, they were quick and they were, they were on the puck and they were really getting after it. But, you know – Eventually, uh, a couple goals, and then they they lost it in overtime. What do you think about the series so far and how how it's going to shake up going into tomorrow?
1: It's definitely a very different team than it was against Washington. Uh, The the Bruins and and Rangers are really built, you know, cut from the same cloth, I guess is the way you'd put it. They're Mm -hmm. the same type of, you know, just very physical teams, strong defensively, you know, not a lot of mistakes, uh, and enough talent offensively to score goals, and then it's just a matter of kind of matchups and things like that. I thought, you know, in a first game of any uh, playoff series in hockey, there's a lot of, you know, feeling out the opponent, you know, being a little conservative early on. And I think you saw some of that in the first two periods. The third period in overtime really started to open up, and overtime yeah. especially, Boston dominated the play. I think there were like five or six posts and crossbars. So the Rangers, I think, were very fortunate to even be in the overtime. Uh, at the last second in the third period, you saw the puck go right off the post as the clock expired. <laughs> so Boston was really inches away from winning this at any point in the third period. That said I think you know the, the Rangers do you know they, they survived and they could have themselves pretty well. I think it both teams are going to be better in game 2. I think neither one of these had their best punch, you know, in this this round of the fight. But
0: coming off a long layover with the game 7, it's like yeah. an emotional high and then it's it's you know, how do you how do you reset yourself and get ready for, you know, to play another game and to start from scratch. You know, yeah. it's like everything you did in game 7 on both sides of it. Everything you did to get here is great. And oh now we're starting again zero zero yeah you know so there is that always with, the, with with these series how they play out in the playoffs
1: especially that Boston game seven you know I was I was obviously I was in Washington when it was going on and we were sitting there watching just the scoreboard go um, and at one point I was like well I hope we can hold on because you know I think we can go and take Toronto that'll be another interesting matchup and then we look up and it says four four and you know we're blown away we don't know how that happens the clock should have been expired by that point yeah. so that was that was incredible uh, and I give Boston a lot of credit for bouncing back and, and really you know taking control of game one for the Rangers. Going into game two, again, another little bit of a layoff. You know, they had two days off before game one. Now another two days off before Mm -hmm. game two. Uh, I think that plays a little bit to Boston's advantage because they have some guys banged up defensively. Uh, Ferentz and Seidenberg are two of their better defenders who didn't play and the Bruins had three rookie defensemen playing in game one. The Rangers didn't do a lot to take advantage of that and really what you want to do, I think, is get the puck deep and just hit them against the boards. Make them make mistakes. And the Rangers didn't do a lot of that in game one. So I would look for Tortorella to really emphasize that in these two days of practice in between games. And if the Rangers can do that, I think they can create some scoring chances. They're very, very good down low. I think the Rangers' best, uh, best opportunities offensively come when they're able to pound the puck deep and just create little deflections and scoring chances and sort of one-timers in the slot. And with rookie, with young defensemen, I think you'll get those opportunities. So now that they've felt each other out, now that that first sort of, you know, dance is out of the way, I look for the Rangers to really step their game up and maybe create a little bit more offensively and take advantage of those defensive matchups.
0: Alright, that's interesting. What do you think going forward if you had a uh, you don't necessarily have to pick it. It's so early, and again, yeah. you don't even know if you got a representative sample of, of each team's best hockey in game one, but what do you, what do you think going forward? What do you think, uh, how, how do you think this series kind of plays out in the next couple of days? If, if you want to take it to the end, you can take it to the end, but how do you think it plays out just in the next few days, uh, say next two games?
1: I think the most important matchup for the Rangers' perspective is Rick Nash and, and Zdeno Chara. Chara played 38 minutes, I think, in game one, and mm-hmm. that's a ton of ice time for defensemen. You know, usually you're, you're 25 or so, and it went to overtime, so there's a little bit extra there, but he was well over a half an hour by his side. That's half the game Chara was on the ice. And the more the Rangers can get Rick Nash away from Chara, I think you're going to see success. That goal the Rangers scored to tie it late in the second period was when uh, Nash was on the ice and Chara was off. Uh, that's how he was able to get that angle and get that, that scoring opportunity. And if the Rangers can do that, I think they'll have a much better time at home. You know, Once you get to Game 3 and 4 at the Garden, you're going to have that opportunity. So Ed, it really just comes down to if they can steal a game in Boston, just like eventually the Rangers won in Washington by the time they got to Game 7. If the Rangers can win a game, if they can take you know Sunday's game in, in Boston, that's huge. Um, I, as far as the matchup goes, I think this is a better fit for the Rangers than Washington was. Washington has a little bit more firepower offensively, like we said, with the power play and with Ovechkin and Mike Green. And Boston doesn't quite have that same. I think their power play is almost as bad as the Rangers is. They're, yeah. You know, not it, as bad. It but definitely. Almost. <laughs> well, nobody's power play is quite as bad as the Rangers. I mean, this they don't it's, even get a percentage. The Rangers. No. They, they were like, oh, it's six percent. That's not no. You have two <laughs> goals. It's not a. You don't get a percentage. Two. No percentage at two. That's yeah. it. It's just it's zero. We, we yeah. just call it zero, just and we go from down. there. We round down exactly
0: yeah. on everything. Um, you know, I, I would agree with you a little bit, and just watching it again. I'm basing a lot of it off of off of what I saw in game one, but I, I think that. You know, if it, both teams seem pretty evenly matched, and I think if it goes this way, I think either game can kind of hinge on, on. you know, obviously, it's, it sounds stupid to even say it, but I think either game is going to hinge on one goal here, one goal there. Yeah. I mean, the Rangers could have won game one. Absolutely. Like you said, and, you know, if the Bruins get a couple more breaks, they would have won that game going away. Mm-hmm. But they didn't get the breaks, and here we were, 3-2 in overtime. And yeah. I think if it goes like that, I think this has potential to be another six, seven game series. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean... Who knows what that what effect that'll have on these guys, you know, going into the next series, whoever uh, prevails. But I think it really has potential to d- to, to play out that way.
1: Yeah, and uh, I think the other name that we haven't mentioned is Henrik Lundqvist. You know, he stood on his head in Game Six and Seven. back to back shutouts to yeah. end the series is unheard of. It hasn't right. happened in ten years. Dominic Hasek was the last guy to do it, and he was one of the best of all time. Uh, Lundqvist deserves a lot of credit. He didn't play his best game, I think, in Game One either. No, he definitely did not. Uh, you know, he let in some goals he usually does and then the posts and crossbars or pucks usually stops. So I look for him to bounce back in these next couple of games. And that, at the end of the day, could be the factor. You know, Rask is good. Lunquist is, is the best goaltender in the playoffs right now. And that could be the X factor for the Rangers to put them over the top.
0: All right, fair enough. From a very important, very exciting Game 7 to what should be a very crucial yep. Game 6 tonight in Indiana. To or die, Indiana, you know. It's, uh... We got the Knicks at the Pacers Knicks obviously the other day they forced the game 6 after being down 3 games to 1 and yep. looking terrible ugly. awful oh my god bad horrendous sickening in the process all those things i mean you yep. cannot pick uh, just think of the most awful words you could think of to describe the way the Knicks have played yep. in the series and they all are fair game go ahead use uh. them but you know listen they did what they had to do they took they took advantage of of you know home court and they won here at the garden to force yep. a game six which if they didn't let's be honest that would have been just That's even bad, worse
1: it looks bad on Woodson too if that that it went down like that yeah so.
0: you, you cannot you cannot lose that series you know four to one and just and look as bad as they did but yep. you know to their credit I guess if you want to say that they won the game that they should have won they're forcing a game six game six will be on in about an hour yeah, from now less yeah yeah so what do you think what's
1: going on Uh, you know, the Knicks, I haven't seen a lot of the series because I have been away. You know, I saw the the last game I had seen prior to this last uh, game where the Knicks came back to win was the uh, 27-point victory the Knicks had. So I thought they looked great, you know, scoring points left and right and making open shots. And I'm like, oh, hey, we're going to go. And I think the last time we recorded, I was saying, yeah, this is representative of the Knicks' talent. This is where we should be. (laughs) You had your uh, Rip Van Winkle moment. Then you woke up and
0: you're like, wait, what year is (laughs) it? Yeah, I feel
1: like the Knicks kind of felt the same way. It was bad. The highlights I've seen. This is some of the ugliest basketball I've seen in my life. Like nobody's making open <sighs> shots. It's and the, the it's whistles all over the place with the fouls. Jason
0: like. Kidd played five minutes <laughs> in the in the, the game. And Amari too, I think. Yeah, yeah Amari no, sat the
1: whole second he's half. He's buried these guys. I mean, if, a- out of necessity, I think. Yeah. I, I don't think it's a mistake. I think you need to be playing Prigioni. You need to be playing Copeland because these guys have weapons that they can well, use right now.
0: They don't win Game Five without Copeland. No, not at all. I mean, not at all. He made some big shots, and you know, obviously, he's a little. Um, He's a little underdeveloped defensively, yeah. But he's made some big shots for them, and he's he's got to keep playing. And, and like you said, Prigioni, he's got to be out there. Yeah. Uh, Jason Kidd has looked terrible. And it's not just one
1: game for him. No, going back to last round, he's up to he, fourteen hundred minutes of not scoring a point. Yeah, he had a, which a, a is layup rim out. He's uh, you know he, he's as bad as it could be right now. Yeah, he's and, making
0: J R. Smith look
1: good. <laughs> yeah. To be fair to Kidd, like he, his job isn't to score, right? He, his job Plus, is to facilitate. He is, yeah, and he's doing well for Methuselah, but. He, you know, he needs to to create for other guys, and when he's not making that shot, it's tough for him. It's tough for him to be a factor, um, and he does look a little slow. The the big, I think, the thing you look at this this series is the Knicks have not dictated the play at all. The Pacers have had their style throughout this entire series: defense, rebounding, you know, offensive rebounds, second chances. The Knicks want to run up and down the floor. The Knicks want to get a lot of scoring opportunities, and it's just been slowed and a grind. And you know, they haven't really uh, done well with that. JR, again, has looked terrible since the elbow. You know, since that suspension, JR hasn't been the same, and he had a fever, saying he's out of the club, Rihanna got him sick, whatever's going on. J- Rihanna you know. tweeted about it the other day. Yeah. She was like, don't blame me. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't want to be associated with that. I don't know if they're an item or what they're doing, but good yeah. for her to step up and be yeah. like, whoa, it's not me. And he's, hopefully, hopefully, He's terrible
0: on his own. Yeah. <laughs>
1: You know, I'm looking, you know, the Knicks have to score points. The, if, if they can go and make this a high-scoring game like it was in Game 2, then I think that stands a better chance. Now, yeah. it just came across right now that uh, George Hill's going to play. He's going right. to start tonight. Uh, we'll
0: see how, how much he actually plays. This It could be one of those things where, you know, he's just on the court at the beginning, kind of gives his team a, a, a bit of a boost, and then uh, I don't know how much he can go. Yeah. You know, they said the other day he was, like, you know, in the dark room, just sitting there because he was getting headaches, and he, yeah. you know, he kind of— Kind of forced the issue to get the uh, the concussion test. Yeah, they said the, the Pacers were kind of slow playing it. Hopefully, yeah. you know, trying to get another game out of them before they were gonna, you know, allow him to be tested this way. They didn't want him to be, you know, not cleared to play. Yeah. So
1: uh, I want to know how healthy he is too, because those concussion <laughs> tests. I was reading about you know the the baseline concussion and the, like the steps you have to make to play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was Gasol. Or somebody earlier in the year had a concussion. They missed, you know, like five days and two games. Uh, and the, another person was like, you know, 10 days uh, and, and three games. And just just to pass the test, like you have to hit right. like four different benchmarks before you're allowed to play. And somebody was saying that it would be really difficult for him to pull that off in one day, but apparently he did. I, I want to know what, what the doctors are really saying, or if it's like, yeah, you know, rub some dirt out of it. You, you're okay, kid.
0: Yeah, I don't know. That, that, that did strike me as, as surprising, too, uh, especially the way that, you know, concussions are handled in sports nowadays, most yeah. notably in football, everything's sure. going on with that. But, you know, even in baseball, we've seen it with uh, Jason Bay here in New York and yeah. Brian Church before him. Obviously, that's with the Mets medical staff, so you got to take it all with a grain uh-huh. of salt because I don't know how they all still have a job, but... <laughs> <laughs> I digress, but it seems that, you know, basketball is a bit more lenient with their concussion policy, yeah. and I guess because you don't have guys running into you on every play, you can be, but...
1: Yeah, uh... I'll tell you what, though, this is this has been a very physical series and will continue to be, certainly tonight, and if they can go and force a Game 7, these teams are going to bang with each other, and it's it's going to be an issue. Uh, you know, we'll see what the Knicks do. I think the Knicks will, will try to be physical with him and see how, you know, how quick he is. And, you, you know, we'll see what you get from him. But he definitely was a missing piece for the Pacers in game five. Yeah. And now they're going to have him. They're going to have home court. And, you know, they're, yeah. they're really going to have a chance to, to lock this down at home. I think whoever wins tonight wins the series. Obviously, if the Pacers win, it's over. And if the Knicks can force it back home to a game seven, I think the Knicks will, will sort of close out where yeah. they should. Yeah, then
0: you can kind of get the Pacers on their heels a yeah. bit. You know, and with the Knicks winning game five, I'm really now the pressure is back on the, uh, the Pacers. Yeah. At least they did that much. Yeah. Because now it's like, you know, listen, you're up, you're up three games to one. You can kind of lose one, especially if you're on the road, if you're the Pacers, you know, but now it's like, now the, the onus is on them yep. to lock it down and win at home, put it to bed because I, I think it's true. If they come back to New York the garden, know,
1: gonna the garden is going to be going nuts. The Garden is going to be crazy. Coming back from 3-1 against Indiana, like the, the Garden will yeah. be going crazy. And that will lead a lot of energy, I think, offensively for the Knicks. Absolutely. And that's what they need. And
0: I think there are two keys for it for the Knicks. And you touched on one before. <clears throat> the Knicks have the guys, if they... Turn this into an offensive game. The Pacers will not be able to keep pace. Yep. No pun intended. With the <laughs> Knicks, um, they just won't be able to. And we saw that in uh, with game two. Yeah. You know, when the Knicks won big, and I think if they can do that, they're going to keep. They're just going to play keep away with yep. the Pacers. They're not going to be able to come close to what the Knicks can do offensively. And the other thing is, you have to stop the Pacers from getting offensive rebounds. It's killing them. It's killing killed him. the Knicks all series because that's how the Pacers are going to put up points. Yeah. You know, they have a lot of guys that, like you said are physical, and they're going to be tenacious around the basket. And if you give – well, first of all, if you give any team second and third opportunities to score on offense, they're going to. But, you know, especially a team like this because they're playing for that. That is their strength, and the Knicks have to be a bit more stout trying to get those rebounds and give themselves scoring opportunities rather than give them back to the Pacers.
1: It's the whole key. We, you know, we'll see what they can do tonight, and, and hopefully we have another game to talk about and hopefully another series to talk about against Miami the next time we It would we, be nice.
0: Know. I would like to be able to talk about Knicks-Miami. I think it would be
1: great. You know, I, I do, and, and uh, just to, to go one more little bit on it, it would be a really sexy matchup between New York and Miami, the Knicks and, and Heat, LeBron and Melo, all that. Indiana really has nothing going on they're, they're horrible offensively. No, and- they turn the ball over all the time. <laughs> they just rebound and, and put back rebounds, and... It's fine. And listen, that's what wins in the playoffs: defense and, and rebounding yeah. wins championships. But not
0: against the Heat. If the Pacers yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> if the faces move on to play the Heat, it's a, it's not going to be good at all for them. Um, you know, but we'll 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 mm-hmm. see what happens. It's funny because you know here we are, the Knicks one game away from elimination, again, at the hands of the Pacers, but I, and obviously the Heat are a better team, but I think that the the Knicks match up better yeah. against no, the I Heat. Agree. And listen, the Heat, best team on the planet, we're not taking yeah. anything away from them, but I just think the style of play just fits what the Knicks can yeah. do well also, and I think they'd have a, more of a fair shake if they can get through this.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, I think they'd be fired up. I think it is a, a matchup advantage to the Knicks, and Hopefully we can cross that bridge. You know, I don't know if there's much more uh, we can do on that, but listen,
0: we'll see how it goes. Obviously, we'll both be watching it tonight, kind of locked in. Um,
1: Just focus on tonight.
0: That's it. That's one all. game at a time. The, the old cliche. Um, I will say this from one team in New York that wears orange and blue, to the other team in New York that wears orange and blue, most notably. The New York Mets, my beloved Mets, are bad, in case you haven't watched sports in the last, you know, five, six years. The Mets are terrible. They're
1: consistent. Oh, they are consistently That's good. You look for consistency in your team, so that's important. They just had a two-game win streak snapped, which is... (laughs) (laughs) Does it count as a streak? No, it's, it's not. It's I'm just three, trying to right? cling
0: to anything at According this
1: point. to the rules of Major League, three games is a winning streak. Yeah,
0: absolutely. <laughs> and one of those games was Harvey who yeah. continues to be terrific. Ugh. So that doesn't even really count because if the Mets don't win when Harvey pitches, it's like,
1: uh, yeah, you know, what do they have now to do? Now you got an eight-game losing streak on your hands. Yeah.
0: I mean, Harvey was very good. He went to 5-0. and It wasn't at his best, but again, he adjusted and showed yeah. you everything uh, that he can be just in terms of moxie, forget about stuff. Yeah. He went to 5-0. and o. He actually, this is how bad the Mets' offense is, he had the base hit that put the Mets ahead. Of course he kept did. kept the Mets ahead. So he had one of those little league games. Yeah, where not only did he, you know, he pitched uh, late in the game and, and, and shut out the other, not shut out the other team, shut down the other team, though. He also knocked in the run that was the difference. Yeah. But
1: other than that, the Mets are terrible. I don't know what we're doing with Ike Davis. I was going to say I was listening on the radio on the way in and uh, I, I, you know, I've been detached from the Mets a little bit because I was out and traveling. But I was hearing that he's saying, well, I got a month maybe to figure it out before they send me down. What's what's going on with Ike?
0: I don't know what's going on with Ike. You know me. I'm a big Ike Davis fan. Yeah. I have been since he came up. I've been a big supporter of him. And I still am. I don't know what you get from sending him down to the minors at this point. The team
1: is not good. Well, maybe somebody who can hit over 200 to replace him.
0: (laughs) Maybe, but maybe not. I mean. Yeah. What are you going to do? Run Justin Turner out there every day? I mean, Justin Turner is a good bench player on a a good team. I think he can be a, a very useful piece, but he's not an everyday player. And you can't run him out at first base, certainly, every day because it's not his best position. Yeah. If you put Lucas Duda there or Daniel Murphy there, you're losing a lot of defense again off of what Ike Davis gives you. And, you know, with no real, you know, alternative in the minor leagues or at the major league level, I think you kind of have to give him as much rope as possible, especially when your team isn't going to be good either way.
1: That's the big key. I think the Mets are not here to compete this year. We know this is what they are. You know, it's like you can't get mad at a dog that's barking because that's what dogs do. Right. You know, the Mets are going to be bad, and, and that's fine, and let him work this out because if this is going to be how he is all season, then you might need to look for, into a first baseman next year.
0: Exactly. I think it's more of a test towards next year than it is for right yeah. now. And the one, the one uh, uh, thing I will say about it is that he played – he made another error today. He made a, a bad play yesterday on a ball that should have been scooped. It was an error on Tejada. It was kind of a bad throw, but it's a play that Davis should have come up with. Yeah. And if he starts to regress or take his at-bats out to the field with him to play defense and his defense suffers, then I think you have the biggest argument for potentially sending him down. Yeah. Because then it's messing with you know the stuff in between his ears. Yeah. And if it's going to really mess with him there, Ike Davis is a very confident ball player. Mm-hmm. You know, he said it last year. He's like, listen, what is going down to the minors going to do? Because then when I come back up, I still have to prove that I can hit here. Yeah. You know, and I got to get right up here. And that's the truth. But if it if it starts messing with his psyche, I think then you know that maybe it's time to send him down. They say nothing's imminent. You know, we'll see. But yeah. it, it, it's it's a bad brand of baseball right now. Uh, just real quick, uh, I want to touch on a couple of injury updates from the minor leagues. Travis Darno. Um, was in New York the other day. He's going to have to keep the walking boot on for another two weeks, okay. which kind of sucks, but it's not a big deal because that will bring him to about the six week mark, yeah. which is what you would expect for a broken bone. Sure. So, um, you know, hopefully after that, after the two weeks, he can take it off and start playing rehab games, and maybe he'll be up here, you know, shortly thereafter. And Zach Wheeler, who missed the start with a strained collarbone <laughs> i don't know you he had some, strain a bone he had I some pain in his collarbone got to be it was, a muscle there it, no i know it was weird it was a weird <laughs> it was a weird situation i don't know exactly what happened uh they 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 did the whole x-ray on his on his clavicle and uh, an yeah. mri on his ac joint in his shoulder everything's fine he got a little cortisone shot uh everything came back you know uh fine negative mm. and all that stuff so um He's going to miss a start, but he'll be right back out on the mound. So the Wheeler watch can continue. Yeah. Uh, you know, after next week, and we'll we'll see what happens with him as they move forward. But, you know, listen, it's going to be about Wheeler. It's going to be about Darno. It's yeah. going to be about some of these young guys and trying to push towards fourteen. But right now, they are painting a grim picture for Met fans because there's a lot of pieces that they thought would be, you know, part of their core going into next year that have underperformed: Davis, Duda, John Nice. Yeah. You know the problem
1: would you uh, would you be into trading john buck if darno gets healthy before the all-star break it's
0: tough you know I, my my gut tells me you you trade darno I yeah. mean, rather, excuse Buck, me, you trade Buck, right. of course. My gut tells me you trade Buck because if he's producing offensively, you can get something for him. Right. Who knows what it is, whatever. Sandy's been good at pulling off these lopsided trades for some prospects and stuff. Yeah. But, you know, any kind of outfield prospect would be nice. So, but on the flip side, when you have a guy like Harvey and you have a guy like Wheeler coming up, you want that veteran presence in Buck to be able to catch them or also to tutor Darneau Yeah. to catch them. And and what it takes to be a major league catcher. So I think it all remains to be seen. Plus, if, if Buck starts to cool off and you can't get something sexy for him, you know, his contract is up at the end of the year. Maybe you look to bring him back as your backup to Darno going into next year, yeah. then you wouldn't have such a dramatic offensive drop-off on the days your number one catcher has to sit, sure. and then again, you have another veteran that knows how to play baseball that is there every day that can work with your pitches, so it's, it's kind of a 50-50, it's my head versus my heart right now, and I think it's, I feel that way because it's probably a little too soon to tell yeah. at this point, no. especially with the Darno injury.
1: Sure. You know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, if if Buck can continue to hit, they might be able to get a good haul for him at the deadline, and it could be another, like, dicky type of thing where you want him, but, you you know, if you can get something worthwhile, it might be uh, definitely worth looking into.
0: Absolutely. Especially you look at the position that he plays, and a lot of teams look for, you know, that leadership and that offense, especially at the catching position. So, you know, if there's an injury somewhere with a contending team or something like that, but also, you know, now the Mets um, are in a position where they have their catcher, in Darno, mm-hmm. They have their sexy catcher down there. They have Wheeler and Harvey and some more arms that are going to come up in the next year or two. So... Teams might be more inclined to trade, let's say, an outfield prospect for a catcher that's going to help them immediately maybe make a playoff push or a World Series push. You know, you're not trying to get somebody's number one catching prospect, yeah. number one pitching prospect, because the Mets have those now. Mm-hmm. You know, you can maybe get some team's right field prospect. Yeah, you know. and
1: that would be huge for them going forward. would
0: be huge. Absolutely huge. <clears throat> so... Speaking of injuries, real quick, let's get to the Yankees. A little bit more injury news.
1: A couple injuries, uh, you know, but they just keep soldiering on, right? You know, don't miss a beat. Uh, Like I said, I went to Kansas City this past weekend. I did get a chance to see the Yankees there. While I was there, we swept. The Royals, which yeah. is pretty nice. Uh, a little side note: as we were leaving the ballpark, which is a gorgeous ballpark, by the way, definitely visit Kansas City. It is beautiful. You drive up from the highway and you just look, and it, it's a gem. It's right next to uh, Arrowhead as well. It's a nice little complex oh, there, okay. the two stadiums. And uh, as we we're leaving the parking lot, we had the uh, the New York New York playing on loop on blast. <laughs> uh, we got some, some a couple dirty looks, but people took it good naturedly, so it was fun.
0: Oh, it's it's Kansas City. I yeah. mean, you know, I don't I don't think they're gonna be. <clears throat> At your throats. Yeah,
1: you know, no major problems. Uh, got to see Rivera pitch, which is great. You know, mm-hmm. they, they actually, uh, they acknowledged when he came in, you know, the, the fans around us, how cool it was to see him pitch. And uh, Yankees are 11 games over five hundred right now with the win today against Toronto.
0: Amazing. Uh, Toronto is
1: bad. Man. Yeah.
0: Toronto is friggin' awful.
1: You know, I had <laughs> thought maybe a little bit, and you know, I know we recorded earlier on this year and said, you know, maybe they're a little bit of a paper tiger, you know, they, they yeah. have a lot Written down, but you know you want to see it on the field, and it hasn't been there. No, uh, and that's huge because the rest of the division is over 500. If Toronto was good, I don't know where you know these teams would be. Absolutely. At this point, I don't even know if the AL East will be able to produce a wild card because they're going to beat up on each other all summer. It's going to be very, very interesting to see who wins yep. that division. And if Toronto could ever
0: turn yeah. it around, I mean, you know, they have some guys playing well, and but the majority of the guys that they brought in haven't produced or have been injured. You know, yeah. Reyes got hurt, which
1: is a big blow to Reyes them. Reyes will be interesting if he can come back.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But, you know, I, two of their big horses are Ari Dickey and uh, Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson's been terrible. Yeah. And Dickey's been mm, maybe moderately better, but yeah. certainly not the Cy Young. Not last
1: year's Dickey. No, no not at all.
0: Absolutely not. So <clears throat> we'll see where they go with that. Robbie Cano still oh. can hit.
1: Oh, man. (laughs) He had two more home runs today. He's been, uh, and listen, you know, there there may be guys with better numbers. He's been the most valuable player this year. Robinson Cano is the reason the Yankees are 11 games over 500 in first place right now. Absolutely. Without Robinson Cano, every other injury, every other thing they've been able to handle because Cano has been the best player on the team. And to me, that's the definition of MVP, a guy who can carry the best team in the American League on his back when his whole roster is out. That's huge.
0: It also bodes well for them bringing Cano back. Yeah. Uh, We talked about it, you know, with the whole firing Boris hiring Jay-Z, what that meant to him potentially coming back and looked like the writing was on the wall there. But I think they were looking to see if Cano could be the guy, if Cano could be the anchor, the linchpin of their offense, because the whole time he's been here, while he's been great, he hasn't had to be that. Sure. And this year so far, he's had to be with no A-Rod, no Tex, no Grandison, no Jeter. He's had to be the guy in the middle, and he has
1: produced. It's amazing. It's really amazing, and I think you're exactly right. It's given him the chance to to sort of dominate – uh, the lineup as the focal point, and he's succeeded. So uh, Granderson came back this week. Right. Teixeira should be close. Uh, you know, Arod is doing his thing. Jeter's doing his thing, sort of getting healthy. Um, what
0: about Uclis? What's going on with Uclus, Uclus? I actually
1: haven't heard an update in a while. He should, yeah. He's actually close to his uh, expiration on the, the DL. He should be eligible to come off pretty soon, but I haven't heard any updates recently on him. Uh, but they've survived, you know, and, and I think they're going to continue to do that as long as they can pitch. Corotta went eight innings yesterday. Phelps mm-hmm. went seven innings today. Pettit again got hurt. You know, I think we're talking about the injuries again. Yeah. But
0: we um, mentioned this in our preview for the baseball season, though. I mean, you, could you really rely on Pettit giving you 30 starts this year? Right. You know, 35 <laughs> starts coming off of an injury last year, and then he didn't pitch the year before that. I mean, so this was gonna happen. I think the most important thing is to you know give Pettit enough reps so that at the end of the year and into the playoffs, if they make it, he can be the Pettit. That yeah. they expect, and that he's always been, and you know he he still has the stuff to do it. I just don't know if he has the durability to yeah. do it over the whole season. So him getting hurt in May probably not the worst thing. No. Are you more worried about him getting hurt in September, October than now?
1: Yeah, and it's it's a trapezius or you know whatever kind of muscle that is. They said it's a you know a fifteen day type of thing, and, mm-hmm. and you know hopefully he'll be back with no issue. Uh, so we'll see. You know with with all that Sabathia out pitched a. a and injured Felix Hernandez the other day. Yeah. Uh, the Yankees came back to win that. Also, I, I was I was at that game as well. Raul Bonias is a, is incredible. I he, don't even he know. Does, all he does is hit home runs at Yankee Stadium. I, he should have never left. They <laughs> put that stat up there. They said since the playoffs of last year, he had like six home runs at Yankee Stadium and like 11 at-bats. It's some absurd number. He's, he's incredible. I wish we still had it, But... Also, Travis Hafner hit a monster home run today too, so it's not like we're missing out too much.
0: Yeah, I I think the thing you take away with that is that, you know, the replacement that they brought in, essentially the one-for-one, the left-handed DH, Hafner's been very good. Yeah. And, you know, they, they did the right thing. They didn't panic when they had some injuries, you know, obviously Hafner's been injury prone over his career. Mm -hmm. And when they had a couple guys go down, there was some talk about, oh, you know, can we put Hafner in at first base? And they were like, absolutely not. No chance. He's not allowed. He doesn't even have a glove. (laughs) He's not allowed to own a glove. And that's it. That's the way it works. And I think that that's going to pay off for them. I think, you know, he's enough of a concern where they have to just keep him, Healthy, yeah, and that's fine as healthy that's, as possible.
1: that's huge and again as these guys start to come back granderson's back in the lineup now and he's he's not playing center field which i think is good for them defensively right you're gonna start to find ways to rest these guys that are injury prone Uh, Hafner's going to get a little bit more, I think, bench time just with Granderson back in the lineup, which is fine. You know, you can bring him in as a pinch hitter late in the game. Yeah,
0: it's going to strengthen their bench. I mean, ultimately, let's say all the pieces that are missing come back healthy. I mean, then you're going to have one stout bench. I mean, on any given day, you could have a a Vernon Wells, Travis Hafner, you know, uh, maybe even Euclid on your bench all at the same time in any given game. And that's... Each year you know.
1: coming in to steal a base or something like that like all those things are, yeah. are really valuable so we'll see you know just keep on keeping on and, and you know we'll see, we'll see how they do yeah um, real quick you know I wanted to mention we've spent a lot of time in our podcast about on the jets uh, and're we're, we're in you know the the lull of the off season not a ton going on but Tebow's gone. Tebow is gone. David Garrard.
0: We didn't even see one Tebow.
1: One I Tebowing. i so disappointed. He
0: didn't do it one time.
1: He Well, Tebowing changed. It's sitting on the bench now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Tebowing turned into.
0: Yeah, hold, it's just him holding a clipboard, yeah. right, with a
1: headset on. Yeah, <laughs>
0: That's the new Tebowing. <laughs>
1: Actually, the newest might be him, like, looking for a job. You yeah. Know, like, walking around, knocking on doors, trying to find somebody <laughs> to employ him. That, I think that's, like, 2013 t bowing Yeah. Uh, but he's gone. Garrard uh, just retired, is about to retire, just retired, uh, with his knee not holding up. So yeah. it's now down to, to Gino Smith and Mark Sanchez, which I think a lot of us thought it might have been anyway. You know, mm-hmm. Garrard, nobody really knew if he was going to stay healthy. T-Bow obviously wasn't going to be a factor. And McElroy and Sims are, are strictly backups at best. You yeah. Know? So it really is going to come down to Sanchez and Smith. What we do know, is
0: that uh, Sanchez will not be released now. There was some speculation that, you know, after the June 1st deadline, there's a possibility that Sanchez would be released. But mm-hmm. obviously now, with only four quarterbacks, and it's funny how everybody made fun of the Jets quarterback situation, six-way competition and all yeah. this stuff. Well, now two of those guys are gone. Now you've got four quarterbacks on the roster yep. with a legitimate uh, two-man competition. Right. That's it, really. I mean, you could maybe throw McIlroy in there, maybe, as yeah. like a guy who had started some games. But you're looking at Smith versus Sanchez and suddenly it's not that different from what a normal you know team's roster looks like quarterback-wise. So yeah. it's unfortunate for Gerard, but I didn't think he had much left anyway. Yeah, I thought we'd be really, really, really bad off if he was our starter come week one.: Yeah. so
1: I think it will make Rex Ryan's job easier as far as picking a quarterback. It'll mm-hmm. give uh, the quarterbacks, uh, I think Sanchez and Smith, more opportunities in preseason to learn Morning Way's system. Which is important. You know, you need to get reps with the first team. There's only so many snaps to go around. And if That's you're throwing true. out Garrard, you're throwing out Tebow, you're throwing out all these quarterbacks, you, have, you can't share the ball that much. So right. I think it'll be helpful. And at the end of the day, it's going to be very interesting to see where Rex Ryan goes with this. I, part of me thinks that if he goes with Geno Smith week one, he buys himself a little bit of leniency as far as the record goes. It's true. If the Jets go 3-13 and with a rookie quarterback, you know, it's hard to fault the, the head coach for that. While uh, they go 3-13 and with a fifth-year quarterback... Maybe that reflects a little bit more poorly Especially on Especially one that was tied to Rex's hip. Yeah.
0: You know, uh, the important thing is I don't think you want to put Geno Smith in a situation where he's going to get beat up. Correct. You don't want Geno Smith to be Sanchez 2.0. Yeah, you don't want him to be a guy who's back there and he's taking his licks. And I, I will say this again: Sanchez has never been the same since that game a couple of years ago against the Ravens. The Ravens when they yeah. sacked him four hundred and thirty times. Yeah, and they beat him up. And ever since then, people have been talking about how soft Sanchez is. I'm surprised he
1: wasn't no. dead. I'll tell after you what: I give game. him a ton of credit because that dude can take a hit. They've had a porous offensive line for two years. He got murdered in that game and got bounced right back up and was trying to throw the ball again
0: every time. And he was hurting. I mean, yeah. You could see it in his face, and he just stayed in there.
1: He struggled. He, he's definitely struggled with accuracy in a lot of things, but Duke can take a hit. You know, he, he really does leave it all out in the field. And the other thing I'll say in, in uh, Sanchez's defense is he does a very good job managing the media. You know, there are a lot of guys who would have crumbled and flaked and, you know, either cursed somebody out or threw somebody on the bus or blamed something, and he has been nothing but professional here in New York. And, you know, I admire his ability to do that. I just wish I could admire his ability to complete a pass to a wide receiver. (laughs) (laughs) So, I don't know. I think it could end up being, uh, you know, Sanchez sort of as the sacrificial lamb behind this pretty inept offense that we're going to run out there this year, and hopefully Smith can learn something from it and and be ready to go in 2014.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well...
1: That's all we got for you. Thanks for joining us. That was was a lot of content. Pretty good. Uh, Hopefully, by the time we talk to you again, the Knicks are prepared to beat the Heat. They'll have this historic 3-1 comeback, uh, and maybe the Rangers will have a little bit of a lead on uh, the Bruins as well.
0: And maybe the Mets won't be so Uh, damn bad, (laughs) but probably. That's the one that's probably going to remain constant. I think there's going to be a lot of bitching and moaning from me on the (laughs) Mets over the next couple of months, so uh, (laughs) I apologize in advance for that. But as these other sports wind down and we have just baseball, it might get a little ugly i just want to warn you guys yeah. that
1: right now no, we will cross that bridge we get there anyway <laughs> thanks for joining us my name is tom and i'm john we'll see you guys later take it easy the new york 20 is brought to you by playoff fears reinforcing ridiculous superstition to help teams win and upset girlfriends since the 80s